Every August 15th, we celebrate this feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There are several Marian feasts in the church's calendar that when they fall on a Sunday, the date, they're so important that they supplant the celebration of that Sunday at an ordinary time. This is one of those feasts. So the question to take home today and to reflect on this week, why is the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary such a great truth, not just that we celebrate it, but that it enlightens the choices that I make to live in ways I otherwise might not? So just to be sure that we're all on beam, our faith, faith of Christians, as far as we can tell from the get-go, is that the Blessed Virgin Mary, because of her unique place in salvation history, the one and only person who bears the child of God, because of her unique holiness, she is the most relentless and perfect disciple of Jesus in the great challenges of her life. When her earthly life came to its completion, God gave Mary a unique grace of being assumed by God, not just spiritually, but also physically into heaven. If I die today, Jesus teaches us, my soul goes immediately to God, and Jesus judges my soul for either eternal life or eternal death. My soul goes to God, and my body remains on this earth. It turns to dust, and hopefully it's entombed or buried somewhere with honor. We do that as Christians because Jesus teaches that he will come, we're about to profess this, he will come again at the end of earthly time to judge the living and the dead. And the scripture tells us what that basically means is whenever human history comes to its end and Jesus returns, people who are on this planet will be judged for eternal life or death, not just spiritually, but spiritually and physically. And people who are in eternal life, spiritually already, will have their bodies raised from the dust and they'll be restored physically and spiritually to eternal life. So what Mary experiences is what we're all praying that we ultimately experience, being brought eternally, not just spiritually, but also physically to eternal life with God and everyone who's with God. So this week, again, I invite you to consider what difference does that make? Well, it makes a huge difference to me, among other things. It reminds me that my body has an eternal value and it is going to exist eternally, that very much changes the way I hopefully treat my body. If I can recognize that truth about other people, it also very much changes the way I treat other people's bodies. If we really believe this, we would be providing really good health care, one way or the other, to every body on this planet. We would be getting vaccines as quickly as possible into every body on this planet, pornography would disappear if we actually believe this. So I invite you to consider that, where you go with it this week. What I invite everybody to consider is based on these readings, to focus on how important who Mary is and where Mary is should matter for all of us. A great thing about this parish, among the thousand and one great things, is most people in this community do have an active connection to Mary. We have so many different Marian devotions. So whether that's alive in your spiritual life now, or if you're growing in it through this parish, hopefully everybody can connect with this. So here's what I invite you to consider this morning. The Ark of the Covenant. Do not fall asleep. What is the priest about to talk about? The Ark of the Covenant. All right, you ready, kids? In the Old Testament, 
13th centuries before Christ, when our spiritual ancestors, the Jewish people, had been freed from slavery, miraculously by God, slavery in Egypt, they're led by Moses. God tells Moses to build a tabernacle, which is a big space surrounded by heavy curtains. Within the tabernacle, at the center, God gives Moses very specific instructions to build a container called the Ark of the Covenant. Very specific as in, it's made out of acacia wood. It's about three and three quarters feet long. It's about two and a quarter feet high and wide. It has, it's completely covered outside and inside with gold. It's the perfect container. There are four golden rings on its corners so that two acacia wood poles can be put through the rings and the Ark of the Covenant can be carried. Top of the Ark of the Covenant, there's another slab of pure gold, and on top of that are two golden cherubim, which you often see this imitated in Christian worship spaces. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, God gets even more specific and tells Moses to put three things. Number one, the stone tablets on which God's commandments have been written, the word of God on the stone tablets, you know, stone tablets. Number two, a golden urn with some of the manna, the miraculous bread that God sends from heaven to feed the people of Israel when they're in the desert. We've been hearing references to that in John 6 the last couple Sundays. And number three, the rod of Moses' brother Aaron, who is the Jewish priest. You may recall this rod at one point miraculously blossoms, which shows that his priesthood is truly God's priesthood. So those three things are in the Ark of the Covenant. When I was a kid, I had a children's Bible. I found this really interesting. And I also thought, this is a theological term, that it's really funky. Why are those three things? What does that mean? I mean, they're important things. But why would God choose those three things to go into the Ark of the Covenant? Okay. 13th century BC. Moses dies. His successor, Joshua, leads the people of Israel finally into the Promised Land. And the Ark of the Covenant is enshrined at a place called Shiloh. It's there for about 200 years. Flash forward, 1,000 years BC. Aren't you glad I get paid the big bucks to tell you all this stuff? About 1,000 years BC, King David is the leader of the people of Israel. They're in a battle against the Philistines. They start losing the battle, and so they snatch the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it to the front of the battle, hoping that somehow this will bring God's blessing. God is not about magic. They lose the battle, and the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines should not have the Ark of the Covenant. It brings all sorts of trouble to them. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, and it's in the hill country of Judah. Out goes King David to get the Ark of the Covenant. A man who's with him named Uzzah, weird name, touches the Ark of the Covenant, which he shouldn't do, and he dies. So King David says, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? He's afraid he's going to die. So he leaves it there in the hill country of Judah in the home of a guy named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's family has the Ark of the Covenant for three months in their house. This household is blessed because of the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, and the people in the household are fine. King David, after three months, hears about the blessedness of Obed Edom's house, so he goes off to the hill country of Judah to get the Ark of the Covenant. 
David, who is dressed in an ephod, which is a priestly garment, when he encounters the Ark of the Covenant, leaps with joy, and he dances before the Ark of the Covenant. He brings it back to Jerusalem and has it placed in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And when it comes to Jerusalem, people shout with joy because the Ark of the Covenant has been brought back. Okay, you with me? You with me or do I start this all over? I've got all morning. You with me? All right. This is wild. On this Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the church invites us to hear the account in the Gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke of Mary's visitation to her cousin Elizabeth. Obviously, this is a very important account of the coming of the Savior of the world through Mary into the world. But Luke clearly, when you get this, is also sending a message about 2,000 years ago and until the end of time through this scripture about the Ark of the Covenant. Mary, oh, by the way, backing up, when the Ark of the Covenant is first built in that tabernacle, the Spirit of God overshadows the Ark of the Covenant and somehow really truly, we can only imagine it, remains in the tabernacle. The Spirit of God is uniquely present and later in the temple at the Ark of the Covenant, in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary is pregnant with Jesus, the savior of the world. Luke, wow, interesting. How does Mary get pregnant? She is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, she goes into the hill country of Judah. The Ark of the Covenant, a thousand years before, was in the hill country of Judah. Mary enters Elizabeth's house, and John the Baptist leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist, whose father is Zechariah of the priestly line of Aaron. When King David went to the Ark of the Covenant wearing a priestly garment, he leapt for joy. Mary enters Elizabeth's house, and three times, Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed, blessed, blessed. What was the house of Obed-Edom? Blessed. Thank you. When Elizabeth responds with joy to Mary's coming, the Greek verb, which is a very unusual verb, is the verb used for the worship of God in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Mary remains in Elizabeth's house for how long? How long did the Ark of the Covenant remain in Obed-Edom's house? Three months. David brings the Ark of the Covenant to the temple in Jerusalem. Mary eventually brings the Savior of the world to the temple in Jerusalem. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. Thirteen centuries before, that perfect container was real, and God's Spirit did overshadow it, and God's Spirit really was present in the tabernacle, in the Ark of the Covenant. In the fullness of time, God's Spirit overshadows a woman who is the ultimate perfect container for not just God's Spirit, but God's body. Jesus Christ is God fully God and fully a human being. 
Mary, this is wild how God works. That specifically, 13 centuries before, God constructs something that is only pointing to the ultimate Ark of the Covenant. And think about the funky things inside 13 centuries before. The Word of God on stone tablets, the Word of God incarnate within the final ultimate Ark of the Covenant, the bread that miraculously comes down from heaven to feed the people of Israel who die, the bread that comes down from heaven to give people eternal life, Jesus Christ, the symbol of the truth of the priesthood of Aaron, the true high priest, the ultimate connector between God and humanity. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. Is this not wild? There's more. First reading we just heard is from the book of Revelation, final book of the New Testament, written close to 100 AD. The author, whose name is John, he's probably a disciple of the Apostle John, is given visions by God. The vision we just heard, which is the 11th and 12th chapter, is of heaven. So the Ark of the Covenant, the original Ark of the Covenant, disappeared in 587 BC when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. Presumably, it was also destroyed. No one, when John is having this vision and writing this scripture, no one has seen the Ark of the Covenant in 700 years. The vision he has is of heaven, God's temple with the Ark of the Covenant in it. Then he describes the Ark of the Covenant. It's a woman, not a box. It's a woman clothed in the sun with the moon beneath her feet and a crown with 12 stars on her head. The woman is opposed by a great red dragon. She's about to give birth and the dragon wants to destroy the child. God saves the child and lifts the child to God's throne. The woman is protected in the desert from the threat of the dragon. The child is born, and the child who's born becomes savior, and he becomes the ruler of all nations. There's no question that that vision has something to do with God's people, Old Testament and New Testament. But there is no question to me and most Christians in the last 2,000 years that that is Mary. That is Mary. Mary, we're celebrating today, is spiritually and physically in heaven. There's only one savior of this world, Jesus Christ, and there's only one mother of her and of him and of you and me. We all have a mother who is eternally in heaven, united with the savior whom we're pursuing. She's a Jewish woman who lived a fully human life 2,000 years ago, a Jewish Christian woman. She's a person who has had all of the tough experiences you and I have had, the happy experiences, the glorious experiences. We have a mother in heaven 24-7 open to us to help us get to her son and to help us get through this world with the red dragon that always wants to destroy her son and never will. We have Mary, the Ark of the Covenant, 13 centuries before Christ foreshadowed absolutely brought into this world 2,000 years ago, eternally connected with us spiritually and physically. 
you would think we'd have a feast to celebrate this. P.S. on the homily, when the Ark of the Covenant is left at the home of Obed-Edom, hill country of Judah, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, she goes to the hill country of Judah. Those two towns, the modern towns, where Elizabeth's house is considered to have been, which is called Abu Ghash, and the place where the Ark was, Ein Karem, are right next to one another. You can walk between those two towns. Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant. When David encounters the Ark, he says, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? When Mary and Elizabeth encounters Mary, she says, how can the mother of my Lord come to me? Pretty well. 